Achieving a balanced lifestyle doesn't have to be a dream, and wellness doesn't have to be an activity you save for downtime. Instead, elevate your personal and professional life with the tips, tools, and insight to holistically support healthier habits. Join me, Dr. Callie Davis, in the Mind-Body Connection for enlightening conversations, inquisitive panel discussions, and illuminating stories from experts in the medical and healing communities who are leading the movement toward a holistic approach to health. Today, we have a special guest, Danielle Passera. Danielle is an integrative nutritionist and registered dietitian who's been studying functional medicine for more than two decades. Her knowledge is phenomenal with gut dysfunction. Danielle has helped me along the way with many cases dealing with chronic pain, autoimmune issues, funky gut stuff that's really hard for healthcare providers to figure out. Danielle is such a sleuth and a detective. I've often called her the blood detective um, simply because she has such a good analytical process at looking at lab work and ordering special tests and really packing a punch with her know-how on how to navigate through the world of nutrition, which we all know can be very tricky when it comes to the current science. Um, Tonight, we really want to delve deeper into the connection of the mind and the body with gut health. And so Danielle is going to lead us on this um, really amazing current topic of stress. So who wants to know about how to manage their stress better when it comes to eating? I feel like we all want to know that. Danielle? Well, I think that you and I talked about doing this podcast because we share so many clients and most of those tend to be GI clients. We're referring back and forth. And a core thing for all of them is this aberrant stress response or misaligned nervous system response to stress. And I get back from so many of my patients after seeing you. Yeah, she talked about all of that stuff that you've been talking to me about. Yes. Isn't that so fun that we're like treating individually in our rooms and talking to our patients one-on-one, yet we're going over a lot of similar contextual education about the nervous system, the brain, how Mm -hmm. the brain and the gut work together, what is stress and how it affects our nervous system. So take us there. How would you kind of start to break down this huge stress topic and our gut? You know, there are so many different aspects to it. When we started talking about doing a podcast, you and I had talked about obviously doing a little bit more than a podcast, like a workshop. Mm-hmm. And I sometimes have this tendency to go a little bit overboard and get into the weeds. So I created this big PowerPoint mm-hmm. that is like a four part, probably like multi hour lecture. And the first part of that is looking at what stress does to the GI tract. Mm -hmm. Because I think, you know, I always say nutrition is never neutral. It's either helpful or it's going to be harmful. And if we're talking about stress, it's either going to drive that stress response in the body, that physiological stress, which means we're going to feel like we have more stress, whether or not we have those external stressors or not. Mm -hmm. And when we have those external stressors, even if they're not that stressful, when we're driving that stress response, 
will just feel them so exponentially more stressful than they are. So we can eat in ways that drive our feelings of, of stress or help quell that stress response in the body and minimize those perceived feelings of stress. And that is a lot. I'd love to be able to unpack some of those principles with you. And this is because with our audience listening, I know there's a spectrum of different levels of awareness in the audience. So some of our listeners are going to be like, oh, yeah, I totally get it. Some of the foods that I'm eating can be causing my stress. Mm -hmm. And some of our listeners are going to be like, what did she say? My foods are causing my stress? So what if we talked to our listeners about that particular principle that some of the foods in our diet or some of our nutritional balance or imbalance, however you want to look at it, is driving the stress? You know, there's so many different levels on which food can drive stress. But I think we need to back up because what people always want to do is dial down and get it to the nitty gritty of like, what are the medicinal foods? What are the bad foods? What are the good foods? And what they're often missing is paying attention to how they're eating, yes. how they're behaving around food, what they're bringing to the table, not just on their plates, but in their brains. Yes. Are they sitting down and they've just been going through a whirlwind, Wait, hectic day? just stop. Mm -hmm. Are they sitting down? <laughs> yes, totally. Are they? That's a great check-in question. Wait, <laughs> I'm eating. Am I sitting down? <laughs> and then the next thing is, are they actually breathing? Yes. Yes. <laughs> One of the most potent home care tips, self-care tips that you have given me is to sit down and take five deep breaths before I begin eating. And when I do remember that and take care to do it, it's not 100% of the time, but I will consciously become aware that I'm about to just dig into my plate because I'm hungry and rushed. And when I take those breaths, I know that my nervous system is resetting, it's shifting, I'm grounded, I'm present with my food, I'm able to be mindful, and I love that you gave me that, and literally, how long did it take you to pass that educational tip on to me? Five seconds. So, what does it do? Do you know, do you know what that does in your body? So it's, isn't it about the relaxation response Which that it's is? bringing that connection between the brain and the organ system into, I, I won't say relaxation, but I would say where the parasympathetic nervous Bingo. system. Bingo. Yeah. So yeah. the, what happens is when we're in the stress response, we're in this sympathetic state, this fight and flight state. And when we're in that fight and flight state, essentially we're shutting down digestion. Your body, it's, it's meant to be a temporary state, a state to help you survive. It's not meant to be a prolonged state. But nowadays our stress is so insane that we're always stressed. And so we tend to stay in the sympathetic dominant state a little bit too much. And again, it's meant to be a temporary state. So what happens in that state is digestion literally shuts down. Yeah. You can have a decreased 
output of stomach acid, pancreatic enzymes, decreased gallbladder function, the intestines and the stomach don't move like they should. So really, I mean, it, it shuts it down and you can feel the start of it in your mouth. How often do people go to give a lecture and they get dry mouth? Right. Well, if you have dry mouth, the rest of the digestion is shut down. Oh, I love thinking about it that way because you just made me visualize from the top down, like literally our mouths um, salivating and getting all juicy and liquidy in there. Like that is turning on all of the entire system that is going to digest that food for us, beginning with the relaxation state, right? Right. Because what is the other name of parasympathetic response? Rest and digest. Right. Sympathetic is fight and flight stress. I just think SS, stress, sympathetic. And parasympathetic is rest, digest, rebuild, regenerate, renew, all Mm. of those beautiful R's. Yes. And how have we lost that connection in our modern culture or the understanding, I should say, what we would want to do is regain the understanding that our digestion relies upon the state of our nervous system to be in relaxation. Yeah. I mean, digestion starts at the top, the Mm -hmm. very top of the human body. And what's at the top below the dura. Oh, are you talking about (laughs) the nose? A little bit higher. (laughs) Go up, go up. The eyes. Go up. The brain. Yes. Bingo. (laughs) So it really, it starts in the brain and it starts with this nervous system balance. And if you're staying in that sympathetic state, uh, well, let me back up. Great meal hygiene Mm. gets you into the right nervous system state. Love that phrase. Great meal hygiene. Yeah. So back to what you said, you know, you, you said, I told you to sit down and to breathe. Meal hygiene is huge. So everybody, like I said, wants to know what should I eat? What should I eat? And I tell people all the time, I can talk to you about what to eat until I'm blue in the face. Mm -hmm. But if you don't make time for your meals, or if you don't grocery shop for the right kinds of foods, it does no good. And even if you have the best foods, the best quality foods, you go straight to the farmers or you grow them yourself organically, biodynamically. It doesn't matter if you don't sit down and make time to eat. Yes. And that, I love this, um, it kind of gives me a visualization of where you're going with the um, rest and digest, the parasympathetic nervous system, like where they're I imagine I'm a PT, so I don't have the depth of knowledge that you do around the GI system and all of the amazing inner workings that are happening as we sit down to eat. But I kind of imagine that it's like some closure and constriction in the fight or flight stage. Oh, for sure. I mean, you are the one who taught me that. With the blood flow? change or the motility we all need to of get it into that. just okay. the things that get shut down and tight with totally. stress and so imagine where there is this gi tract that needs to receive blood flow and it needs to move and it goes into the opposite state right we're less it's blood seized. flow and no movement and then you're going to feed yeah because into that. think about it what do you tell people? It's mm-hmm. the woolly mammoth. Yes. You're exactly. trying to run from the woolly mammoth. You don't need blood around the digestive organs. You need it in the muscles. Right. 
And the other thing that happens in that state is you become a little bit more insulin resistant because the the body is at that point trying to keep glucose, the main form of energy in each and every cell in the bloodstream for the muscles so that when it needs to literally fight for its life or flee for its life, the energy it needs for those muscles to work very efficiently is there. Yeah, it's fuel for the pumps right. to get you to go. But unfortunately, that insulin-resistant state is a very inflammatory one. Yes. And so what I see with stress, too, is there are a lot of these feed-forward loops. Like when you're stressed, you're more insulin-resistant. Mm-hmm. But when you're insulin-resistant, that's a stress, stressful way to be in the body. So it drives stress. It's like a vicious cycle, you're saying. So like we get higher stress levels and we're more inflamed. Then we're more inflamed, producing more stress. Right. And then cortisol's up and then we start to tumble into this longer term cascade of effects. And there are a lot of things, you know, a little bit later on, I'd like to touch on nutrient, nutrient intake and nutrient levels and how those affect stress. But what we see is we tend to, blow through our nutrients certain nutrients i mean it's just insane how much we use when we're in this state of stress but the body remember this is a temporary state the body is also wasting a lot of it through the urine and losing it via kidneys and urine sweat a little bit and then what happens in the gi tract to some of us when we're stressed we have very loose stools and that's essentially like malabsorption. Right. So that's one of those feed forward loops because if you don't have enough of certain nutrients, you don't make enough stomach acid. You can't effectively um, operate those pumps in the digestive tract that help you absorb nutrients. You can't move properly. I mean, magnesium is a perfect example. And then when we lose some of these nutrients, what tends to happen is we feel more stressed. You know, magnesium, when we're low in magnesium, what happens is we are more sensitive to external stressors. Mm -hmm. Think about it when you're iron deficient. Have Mm -hmm. you ever been anemic? No, not that I've known. You're lucky. Not on labs. You're Mm -hmm. lucky. When a person's anemic, they tend to be more easily frustrated. Mm. Their thinking is not as clear. I mean, there's not a lot of oxygen. Yeah, effective the brain fog. O- yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's with iron. And then the other anemias, B12 and folate, B6, thiamine, those are all anemic, copper, all anemias. Right. Zinc is another one. And you know, if you're zinc deficient or even just a little insufficient, not even a full-blown deficiency, you can lose some of your taste and smell. So then food's not as enjoyable. Yes, right. Contributing more to that mm-hmm. bad experience. When you're folate deficient, you can have a decreased appetite. So this is calling to mind like how different categories of nutrients can, like when they are low, then we're going to be even more susceptible to the daily stressors. Yes, for multiple reasons. Mm-hmm. So adrenaline and its, its partner, noradrenaline, are essentially the same as epinephrine and norepinephrine. Right. Those are neurotransmitters. Well, those are excitatory neurotransmitters. They are like the gas pedal. Right. But we have, you know, the brain really, it just 
wants balance all of the time. So we have these other neurotransmitters that are like the calming, the relaxing, the happy inhibitory neurotransmitters. And the nutrient building blocks, let me back it up. You can't make them without nutrients. Like serotonin is one you're talking serotonin, about. Serotonin, rela- mm-hmm. dopamine. Yeah. A lot of people know about this dopamine kick. Right. Noradrenaline, adrenaline, or epinephrine, norepinephrine. Those are made from nutrients. Mm-hmm. And the enzymes that we use to make them require a lot of nutrients. But those enzymes are shared between the two. So if you're just ramping up that stress mm-hmm. hormone production, you're blowing through some of those nutrients that you would otherwise use for the inhibitory neurotransmitters. I did not know so that. it's kind of like a steel. Yes. So then depleted. <clears throat> yeah. Mm-hmm. So then you can't put the brakes on efficient efficiently. Mm-hmm. So you feel more stressed because you're just you're not balancing. And you're going to all the yoga classes and you're trying to breathe and you're trying to meditate and you're like, why isn't this working? <laughs> I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to be doing. Why am I still so stressed out? Because you're eating in the car on the way to yoga. (laughs) And we're actually talking about me right now, folks. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. The wisdom that Danielle um, shares with me on a daily basis has been profound for my life and my daughter's life. Likewise. So I also realize that, you know, we're all in the same boat a little bit. When it comes to our modern stress lives. Yeah. And what you're saying, though, is that we can make simple changes and adjustments like the five breaths before eating. Um, that's a great example because, you know, nobody has an excuse for that one. You, you know, you, you can find the time for that one. Oh, um, you would be surprised. <laughs> right. Of people who don't do it. Or who but don't? But I mean, back it up. Want to do it. You know, it's great to take five breaths before, mm-hmm. but if you don't make time for meals, yes. I mean, when are you going to breathe? Yes, yes, and that. I mean, multiply that by the family stressors, right? Like feeding kids, multiple kids, like five humans I mean, sitting we're down to eat in together. So many different. directions, the expectations we have of ourselves in this day and age are just obscene. It's obscene. And we're neglecting the fact that our systems, like our gut organs, need certain criteria met in order to function for us, in order to do what they're designed to do. They need us to to be nice to them. Yeah. They need us to look out for them. Mm Mm-hmm. Top to bottom. So I love this. I love what you're presenting here on this stress response and the feedback cycles between our body and our brain and how food integrates with that. So take us on the next step of this journey. What, what else do you want to talk about here? I mean, there's so many different things. The neurotransmitters Um, is a very cool thing. I never knew we had to use enzymes that are the same enzymes for the parasympathetic and sympathetic, you know, um, neurotransmitters. I never thought about it like that. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. So that steel word that you're using, like, okay, if we're depleting our reserves of those enzymes that help to manufacture serotonin, then 
is that true that we're going to have less serotonin available because those enzymes are being used up to theoretically do the fight or flight response? Theoretically, I mean, That's there's it's every mechanism in our body is so exquisitely sensitive yes. to so many different variables. It's really hard to say. But another thing when we're talking about uh, neurotransmitters, another big thing we can't ignore is the microbiome. Yes. Because the microbiome, number one, takes a hit when we're stressed, but also, I mean, the gut-brain axis, you know, everybody's hearing about the gut-brain axis. Mm -hmm. The microbiome controls it. Mm, yeah, let's talk about that. The connection between your brain and your gut is essentially like lined with those healthy, ideally, bacterium. Yes. And they put out neurotransmitters. Yes, exactly. It's like the, how they're manufactured through that part of our bodies. There's some crazy, you know, some people say like 90% of the serotonin is made in your gut. Yeah. Well, some of that comes from the microbiome. Yes. So tell us like, okay, because I know probiotics have gone crazy over this past decade, right? Like everybody is like, oh, I'm going to be healthy or I'm going to take a probiotic daily. And they take the capsule or the tablet or whatever. Or they put the probiotic thing in their smoothie. And I'm not um, diminishing that at all because we know probiotic supplements can be very important and very helpful, right? But it's caught on in the mainstream in a way that is almost like a panacea, would you say? Like, oh, let me take my probiotic without the understanding that we need to nourish our bodies in a way that helps the natural microbiome be balanced first, foundationally. Well, your microbiome is only going to be as healthy as your diet. Uh-huh. The microbiome, a healthy, let me rephrase this. Your microbiome can be full of beneficial microbes or potentially opportunistic pathogenic ones. Mm -hmm. You're always going to have those opportunistic organisms in your gut. But the idea is to have a lot of those really beneficial ones to keep the opportunistic ones populations in check and to to have healthy robust populations of those beneficial microorganisms you need to have a diverse diet with lots of color because that's what those guys and girls like to eat yeah and they don't like food from factories the opportunistic ones they love the doritos the oreos the, I mean, the candy, like the Tootsie Pops. They, they feed <laughs> off of the junk food. The bad gut bugs want the junk food, and they're going to increase. They like high fat. They like yeah. high sugar. They like low fiber. Yeah, right. The American diet, is that what you're referring that, to? The sad, <laughs> very much. But the good guys, you know, they feed off of those compounds and foods that give them their color. Yeah. And what we're learning, I mean, the, micro or, the microbiome is just insanely fascinating to me. So 
and I need you to help keep me in check here because I can go on forever about it. Yeah, it's a marvelous topic. The microbiome essentially is what makes healthy foods healthy because it starts to eat those foods and creates these metabolites. And it's the metabolites that we absorb Mm -hmm. that have the impact on our organs and our brains, et cetera. Nice. I didn't realize it was like a process like Mm -hmm. that from it. So one of your other big pearls of wisdom that was impactful to our daily lifestyle Um, is try to have as many colors on your plate as possible, at least five colors on the plate. And it was such a simple rule of thumb to adjust to and to live by that Emil is the cook in our household. And a wonderful one. And a wonderful cook. And he was able to adapt to that pretty easily and readily um, and what you're doing by bringing that rainbow onto your plate is feeding the healthy gut bugs. Yep. Mm-hmm. But it also makes food a lot more pleasurable. Yes. You know, we eat for multiple reasons. We eat to nourish the physical body and the microbiome, but we also eat to, f- to nourish the non-physical part of us. And the thing that really is needed when you're trying to balance eating for the physical and the non-physical is the mindfulness piece. Yeah. Because if you eat mindfully, you're aware of the effect food has on your body. And some of those foods that seem like foods for the soul may not be foods for the soul when you start to pay attention to how lousy they make you feel. Ooh, like um, macaroni and cheese. Well, <laughs> I can't eat macaroni and cheese. They'll put me on the floor. Yeah. But that might not happen to everybody. So it's not pleasurable to me. Yes, yes. It's like a like a comfort food right. for a lot of people. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you know, it's all about balance too. But right. so what I was the tangent that I started, you know, that the original thought that kind of spurred me on this this tangent is we have to have that pleasure aspect in eating. We have Mm -hmm. to have that mindful aspect in eating. And what we know is that color makes a meal so much more pleasurable. But what also comes with a lot of those colors are aromas and flavors. So it makes the meal ultimately so much more than just the food on the plate. It makes it an enjoyable experience, which also goes back to helping to balance that state of stress. You know, we don't get a lot of these pleasurable inputs in our stressful lives. So that's one easy way to get it. Ooh, I love what you're saying there because it's like activating the senses, right? Mm -hmm. It's tapping into all those senses that we have. So the color stimulates our vision, the smells that are the aromas coming off of all those different varieties of food stimulates our smell. And so we start to really wake up and aliven the sensory systems and get that on board. And that input, like you said, is going straight to the brain and it's turning on the mechanisms that are going to make us have a healthy gut digestion experience for that meal. Gut brain access. Yeah. Love, love. You just opened my whole brain into that sensory input for mindful eating. The color, the taste, the flavor, the sounds in the room. What else? The sounds of the food. The sounds of the food. I love that. You just opened my mind to how that's affecting 
the brain's ability to to work properly. Yes. It'd be really interesting to hear Holly McKenna talk about that. Oh yeah, we're ha- we're gonna definitely get Dr. Holly on here. Um, so with that part of it, I love how you're talking about nourishing the physical and the non-physical aspects of it. So can you talk a little bit more about what are those non-physical aspects that you think of in nourishing ourselves? You know, it's not multiple aspects. Mm -hmm. We have this physical body and we have what's housed in the physical body. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that you can really put words to it because it's not something so tangible. Is it kind of like the emotional experience with a meal or like... Think about the physical body and the non-physical body. What's the non-physical body? It's the emotional body. Right. It's the spiritual body. It's the beyond the realm of this life body for a lot of people. I mean, it goes kind of a little bit beyond where some people's minds can grasp. But that it brings a lot of meaning into your food, like thinking about family meals and traditions. Yeah. Into that. Thank you for redirecting me because what I wanted to say too is if you think about the way humans evolved, we've always eaten in communal, Mm -hmm. um, uh, atmospheres and what we do now, I mean, our, our, especially post COVID is so mm-hmm. much alone and we're losing some of these positive aspects of eating that go well beyond the food, the community. And what we know is when you look at the blue zones and the centurions and all of that, a big thing is their sense of community and their connectedness with other people. So when you bring that aspect of pleasure back in, you know, maybe you're not getting that full connectivity with other human beings, but at least you're moving in that direction. Yes, I love that. And you just brought in this feeling of the experience of joy and pleasure and sharing mm-hmm. wonderful food and laughter over a meal together with friends and family. That evokes so much of our safety mm-hmm. and um, parts of us that are definitely priming that rest and digest system that make us feel good. Right, I was about to say. So if we're making this full circle, mm-hmm. you can even say when you sit down to enjoy the food whether alone and it's just beautiful and yummy and smells good or whether you're sharing something with other people it's helping to balance that stress response yes it's like a medicine for it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and it all comes from the microbiome love love you know the microbiome aside from the neurotransmitter part of it and helping us benefit from all of these wonderful foods. We're talking about eating these colors, these aromas. It also balances, or rather I should say, directs the immune system. So if we're going back to when we all started to segregate ourselves, it was to try to stay healthy and illness-free. But what it does is it can make us more ill. But if you're really focused on the microbiome, you, I mean, you kind of want to expose yourself to more mm-hmm. to have a healthy one, right? Whether it's color or external inputs, right? But um, that keep the microbiome healthy 
do so much more than just keep a healthy microbiome because the microbiome is telling essentially the rest of the body what to do. It tells the immune system how to function. I mean, if we're going to talk about the big C, yes. people with an unhealthy microbiome wound up in the hospital a lot more. They had an increased severity, increased frequency of infection, all of that. And that's just an example of how intricately the microbiome and the immune system are wound. <clears throat> it also directs inflammation. If you have an unhealthy, um, sorry, unhealthy microbiome, you're going to have a more inflammatory state in your body, and that's going to drive stress. Mm, yeah, so that root cause could be the unhealthy microbiome and then increased inflammation and then increased stress, like a right. pathway like that. Right, and again, you know, th I wouldn't say you're just going to automatically feel stressed because your right. microbiome is off. It's not so linear. <clears throat> it's not so linear, but what you'll start to notice is you can have an exaggerated stress response to something that's not yes. inherently as stressful to the majority of individuals because that state of stress in your body is just causing your body to pump out some of these stress hormones mm -hmm. at a little bit higher levels. Okay, so a person could actually end up having a highly reactive response in their immune system, like someone with asthma or with a food allergy or a food sensitivity where, you know, person A would have that food and have no hyperreactivity to it. And person B would have that food and they might have a really triggered inflammatory response from it. Yeah. I mean, there's so many, <clears throat> so many things that can affect asthma and food sensitivities, but I am a little biased. Mm -hmm. I think the microbiome is a big driver of all of it. It seems like it is. The picture that you've painted for us with the microbiome influencing the immune system. And the inflammatory response. And, and the, the GI tract. And the neurotransmitters. And the brain. And the nervous system. Yeah. And the genitourinary tract. Yeah. The lungs. You have your gut microbiome and it's directly related, directly tied, there are feedbacks that go back and forth that aren't just neural, that are actual my, uh, bacteria going from one place to another, to the lung microbiome, to the ear microbiome, to the nose microbiome, the placental, the vaginal, the uterine, the gonadal, I mean, you name it, there are all these different microbiomes in the entire body, and they are all regulated by one core microbiome, and that's the GI microbiome, the gastrointestinal tract microbiome. The majority of those microbes are in the large intestine. Some of them are in the small intestine. When there's more than just a little bit, that's when we start to have problems, which is when a lot of my patients wind up seeing you. Right. When you're like, SIBO. I think this one is structural. Mm -hmm. Right. And also the stomach has its own microbiome. Mm -hmm. The mouth has a microbiome. The dental microbiome, I'm sorry, the oral microbiome is a direct influencer of pregnancy outcomes. It's huge. Wow. Wow. So all of those microbiomes 
in our bodies and all of them communicating Mm -hmm. with each other and with the brain, interrelated. Um, And then we can start to have these chain reactions, right? Right, right. When they're off, when they're out of balance, or when they're loaded with the bad gut bugs and not the good ones. Yeah, I mean, the microbiome, if you don't have the beneficial microbes, that's one thing. If you have more of the pathogenic ones, that's another thing. And then if you have both together, that's like the triple whammy, Mm, the trifecta. Right. And so that's when we're going to start to see more of this immune dysregulation that leads to these food reactions and these um, lung conditions or airway airway conditions like asthma, um, skin issues like eczema, you know, the microbiome and inflammatory states are directly tied to so many mood disorders. I mean, some people look at depression as uh, not necessarily a... Um, quote unquote mental state, but an inflammatory state instead. Sure. And a big part of that inflammation can be gut driven. Yes. And how hard it can be to figure that out too. You Mm -hmm. know, it's why we need experts like you working with patients directly one-on-one comprehensively. It takes a whole village. It does. It's not just me. It's never just me. When I have a team, that's when people get better. When I'm solo, it takes a lot longer. That's why I like to refer out, you know, Mm -hmm. having good clinicians in our area, it has been challenging, but we're getting more of them. You know, it's been great for us to find each other because we cross refer. And you know, when we work on a patient together, that patient always gets so much better, so much quicker than the ones that are hesitant to come to me when you refer because they want to save their money or go to you because they feel like, oh, it's another thing, another appointment. But once we get them to go to the other person, they start to get better so much faster. We definitely see that acceleration of functional gain. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of that is what we've been talking about. The aspects of microbiome that you can unpack with a patient and start to figure out those root causes. And we know now that we've been really unpacking the stress factor, how many of our patients have stress that is affecting their nutrient intake and all of those things we just hit on and their gut is not moving properly like it should. The literal GI system is kind of stalled a lot because it's under that stressed out state instead of the rest and digest. So when I do hands-on work on one of Danielle's patients, like she's saying, they've already received a lot of that education, deeper, enriched knowledge about how their body works and what the anatomy is like and how stress and how food influences it. And then we can start to work with their organs and their belly tissues and their soft tissues in the myofascial realm in order to bring the blood flow and the mobility back in there and start increasing some of the natural movements and range of motion around those organs too. And it's until you do that work with them. Remember, I'm talking, it's all so 
multivariable. Mm-hmm. I can't heal people sometimes unless you get in there mm-hmm. and address the anatomical issues mm-hmm. because it's not just the, my, I'm thinking about SIBO patients, all of our small intestinal yes. bacterial overgrowth patients. Yeah. They are coming because they've been diagnosed with a disturbed microbiome. That's yes. what small intestinal bacterial overgrowth is. Yeah. But how many of them have this recurrent, chronic, unremitting SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth here, henceforward SIBO, Yes. because of some structural yep. issue, yep. whether it's a valve issue or There's a lot of valve issues walking around out there or like a seized gut because yes. they're in such a st- state of stress. Yes. You know, and trauma, PTSD. Oh God, we didn't even go there. Yes. But like, it's kind of like one of the, um, looming things, right? Like whenever you're talking about these adaptive mechanisms in our gut brain axis, um, a lot of that can come from a history of trauma or it can be PTSD running rampant in the organs of the body and having the effects that it has chronically. And so like for SIBO patients, for instance, I see a lot of dysfunctional ileocecal valve. And the funny thing about that population is how easy it is to evaluate and assess that valve dysfunction and get it working properly, facilitate its proper care with some extra homework and guidance and education and some hands-on techniques that the patient can do at home. And then they're also instilling in their day-to-day things like breathing before they eat, monitoring their stress levels, doing grounding activities so their nervous system can regulate better. And it's putting all those things together that addresses the whole picture. Right. You know, there are a couple of things that we haven't touched on. And so these are maybe I'm inviting myself back on your podcast. Two, three, (laughs) four times. (laughs) But you know, other things that we need to talk about too are what our appetite is doing when we're stressed because the foods we want to eat most often when we're stressed remember i said the brain likes balance yeah and so sometimes it's telling us to eat foods that are just gonna bring up that serotonin really quick or boost that dopamine really quick to make us feel good when we feel really not so good and like cravings mm -hmm. or addictions even yeah yeah some of the this is like that learned response of a comfort food that initially makes us feel good, but in the long run, we're not always so mindful. And in the long run, it just makes us not feel good. Right. And it just ramps up all of these downward spiral cascades in the body. But um, you know, so there's that one aspect of what does stress make us want to eat? Mm-hmm. What does stress do on that nutrient level? when we eat those foods, like how did, how did those foods and stress come together to make everything worse? Mm -hmm. And then how can we eat to minimize our feelings of stress Mm -hmm. to not just not drive that stress response? So that's like part A and B after this. And then the thing where you and I, and maybe even someone else could, could talk about is, well, what are those other things that we can do other than managing the, inputs we put into our mouth when we're stressed. You know, there are a lot of things that we do 
example, drinking. Right. That really can be counterproductive. And I won't even get into that now because that's a whole different topic. And I know you have some thoughts on alcohol in the microbiome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like my microbiome likes it, but mm-hmm. I'm kidding. <laughs> Are you from New Orleans, Danielle? <laughs> yes, folks. Danielle is born and raised in New Orleans, the city of Mardi Gras. But, you know, there are some types of alcohol that are more um, therapeutic than others. And that is a topic to be explored in a future podcast. Wonderful. I think that's a great way to close it out. I know we could go on for literal hours. Yeah, really forever. At least a few more podcasts out of this really rich topic about microbiome our health and wellness, our immune system, that gut-brain axis, and how that is all either, I love how you started when you said that nutrition is never neutral. It's either helpful or harmful. And when we look at stress and how to navigate through that, that becomes a huge guideline, I feel like, Um, the things that are helpful versus harmful and how mindfulness plays such a big element in that for every piece of our lives. Um, but with nutrition and mindfulness, it opens up a really big cookbook of, you know, things to do to help yourself have better nutrition day to day. And it can be simple. It doesn't have to be stressful. Yeah. I mean, I've loved the simple things so much because they end up being the things that stick a lot of times. I love the brainy stuff too, you know, because we both nerd out in ways beyond. But these simple things for me and for my patients too are like the things that we can easily grasp mm-hmm. and then just keep applying over and over again. And we know that makes changes in the brain. Yeah. So fun talking to you, Danielle. Thank, Thank you, you Kelly. so it's much for great. being here. Love having you at Hands on Health. Love, love talking here. to you all the time. Likewise. See you again soon. Bye. Bye.